in the morning when you need the news that matters most. They can kiss my f***ing ass right downtown and print it. You need the front page. All these mother editorials. On the press box. They're really, really behind you around here. My f***ing ass. With Graney and Bischoff. Rip them mother Rip them suckers like the f***ing players. Adam Candy in for Ed Graney today. If you missed the very end of that interview with Ed Graney, Cassie Soto tried to jump in and yell something. Uh, She got cut off. What she was trying to yell was F for getting to the airport four hours early. So Cassie Soto, not happy. She's being dragged along with Ed Graney on their flight. Now, in the front page, uh, here's a tweet this morning from Michael Lombardi. According to two Jacksonville sources, there are many closed-door meetings happening over the last two days in the football offices and none of them have anything to do with the Titans. Stay tuned. This might get ugly. Uh, does ugly mean Urban Meyer's going to get fired? Oh boy. When twerk overtakes work. <laughs> I, I kind of have to wonder here uh, from the betting perspective how, how heavily you fade the Jacksonville Jaguars this week. Like, Is anybody actually helping the Jaguars get ready for a football game? It, it feels like the Titans should be uh, should be rolling through this thing. Um, yeah, I mean, look, take everything with these anonymous reports with a grain of salt, but it feels like this thing is going to reach a conclusion before the end of the season. I know you said yesterday you thought Urban Meyer would be coaching the next year. Man, I would just be surprised at this point. Do you find it uh, like a big deal that Urban Meyer did not fly back with the team after their Thursday night game and that he stayed back in Ohio? A big deal? I mean, look, we do we know if any coach always goes back? I have no idea. Yeah. Like, I have no idea how to grade that on its own merits. What I will say is it fits the pattern of Urban Meyer does whatever the hell he wants quite easily, right? Like this whole idea of Urban Meyer king of the franchise, which again, David Roth was saying, why don't people translate well from college football to pro football? Because of this, because college football coaches have the most outsized amount of power of anyone within sports? That's a great, great question. Vic Fangio is mad that the Ravens ran a play in the final seconds of their win over the Broncos. It was a 16-point lead for Baltimore, and the Ravens did not kneel with uh, about four seconds left. They ran a play to ensure that they would rush for over 100 yards in the game. They have now done so in 40 three straight games. Vic Fangio said yesterday, yeah, I thought it was kind of bull bleep, but I expected it from them because I know how they operate. That's their mode of operation there. Player safety is secondary. Uh, John Harborough was asked about that, said he wasn't going to put much thought into it and also said, so you're throwing the ball in the end zone with 10 seconds left. I don't know that there's a 16 point touchdown that's going to be possible right there. So, you know, that didn't have anything to do with winning the game, Um, which coach is right. Nobody's right. This is stupid. Why are we why are we having these discussions? Keep this crap over in baseball where I'm already tired of it. But in football, Unwritten it rules. seems so dumb. Look, is John Harbaugh right for going for a meaningless record? Probably not. I appreciate the fact that he was honest about it when asked after the game and said, yeah, the record meant something to us. All right, but here's my question. If you gain five of those yards to get over 100, 
by running a play when the Broncos weren't expecting you to run a play, then those cheap yards don't really count toward 100 for me anyway. They do, though. So, they do. Do you, remember, do you remember a few years back when Ricky Davis, sweet old Ricky Davis, needed a triple-double and bricked his own layup so he could get an offensive rebound to Did, get the... T- didn't they change? Did they change where official scorers cannot give you a rebound for that? Right, they did actually okay. change it off that. But like I'm saying, like obviously these situations where people are gathering stats are situations that are always going to annoy everybody. But on the other side of this, with Vic Fangio, you don't want him to get the yards, then stop them because apparently it was a big deal to you to stop them from getting 100 <laughs> yards. So stop them. You didn't have to let Lamar get five yards on the last play, but you did. And also, by the way, I don't care about whether they were throwing into the end zone or what. Don't don't give me the whataboutism of what were the Broncos doing before that. The Broncos were out there trying to desperately score points at the end of a game in the hope that somehow they might be able to win. That's not surprising. So I don't want to hear about that. But with Fangio airing whatever grievances he has with the the Ravens organization, just save it. You, You got your butt kicked in that game. Just move on. I don't have a problem with the Ravens trying to get this record on a meaningless play. I don't have a problem with the Broncos throwing to the end zone down 16. The only criticism I have for any of this is that John Harbaugh's team was decimated by injuries before the season even started. And not that I want somebody to get hurt, but it would have been kind of funny if they lost a player on a meaningless play where they were just trying to get to this record of 100 rushing yards in 43 straight games. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Vic Fangio brought up the player safety thing, too. I, If Harbaugh was willing to chance it, uh, I feel like he's one of those coaches who has earned the credibility that, you know what, he knew what he was doing with his team, and he would have to answer for it later, and I think he probably has the cachet to get through with it. Happy to move on to the, to the next question here, Aaron. Matt Norlander at CBSSports.com uh, does a feature where he anonymously talks to coaches about different issues situations in college basketball it's pretty good they do one i think every month uh the one that they had come out this week 61 percent of college basketball coaches think that name image and likeness will cause there to be more cheating in college sports Uh, a couple of quotes it will increase because the current rule is coaches can't have involvement in setting up deals if you believe coaches won't set up deals then please let me sell you a bridge in brooklyn also I think there's going to be a big increase, and the reasoning behind it is, from what I've heard, the money never really goes to the kid. Somebody around them does. And what's going to happen is those people are going to want their own NIL and want it tax-free. I think it will go up. I really do. I don't see it going away. There's no chance in hell it goes down. I think I agree with that. I don't see there's any way that cheating goes down in college sports. There's just a different avenue to do it now. So college basketball coaches are mad that cheating is now legal. Yes. Because the cheating they used to do is exactly what is now okay, except that the money went through them. Um, And they're telling on themselves when they say, oh, if you don't think coaches are going to be setting up deals, you've been setting up deals for 50 years. What else is new here? It's just a matter of the assistant coaches, like in the USC situation, funneling the money down to some guy at the AAU level as opposed to the money going to the kid. And don't tell me about, oh, well, it will really get to them. Whoever in the the kid's sphere that the money gets to 
is who it should get to in the first place. That's the whole idea here. Do you care if when the radio station pays you, if the money is spent on you or if the money is spent on your girlfriend or your dogs? No, it doesn't matter. And it's nobody's business but yours because you're the one who has the talent that you're getting paid for. So college basketball coaches are really just telling on themselves on how many deals they've been setting up over the years in the first place. Uh, I am fascinated with college basketball coaches, college football coaches, and the idea of cheating or not cheating. I do appreciate more, though, that you know my money gets spent on my dogs. Oh, I mean, come on. Uh, it makes perfect sense to me. You post nothing about your personal life ever on social media, and you were out there thirsty as hell trying to get your dog onto the field for the Dog Olympics with the lights. Oh, like, I man. knew what was coming. We got robbed. We got robbed. We should have been on the medal stand. Unbelievable. It was rigged from the beginning. I don't care about her next question. So we've got a few teams that are apparently still inquiring about Ben Simmons. This according to Keith Pompey. Timberwolves, Pacers, Cavaliers, Pistons, Raptors, and Spurs are asking about Ben Simmons. Uh, before we talk about any of those teams... How low is the value on Ben Simmons after this very public breakup over the last couple of weeks? So there are two things about it, right? One is that Ben Simmons can't shoot. We know that. The two is that now we know that he has to be traded. So you take an asset that was already distressed and now you try to sell it under duress. And now you've got a real problem because every team you just mentioned there is terrible with the exception of the Pacers so Ben Simmons wants a trade we're about to find out how much he wants a trade how much is he willing to go to a place where he is guaranteed to be losing for the next five years am I okay like, let's take the Pacers and I think maybe you could throw the Spurs or the Raptors in this conversation as well those are teams that like their chances to win the NBA title are, are pretty slim. And the Raptors, they did it recently by going and getting Kawhi Leonard for one year. They went all in on the one year with Kawhi and, and it worked. They won. But is it like Ben Simmons? I don't think Ben Simmons is actually going to ever be a key part of a championship team. But if you are, say, the Pacers, they're not going to build a championship team because they're never going to have a high draft pick because they refuse to tank. And they don't free agents aren't going to Indiana. There's like a 1% chance you could take Ben Simmons and you could turn him into a superstar player, build a team perfectly around him and win a title. Am I an idiot for thinking that that's something like the Pacers, Spurs or Raptors should do? I get it from the perspective of it's a small market and nobody wants to go there. But keep in mind, also, it's a cap league. And because it's a cap league, the deals are essentially the same pretty much everywhere so i don't know that it's about does he want to go to a certain city and live there um or does anyone else want to join him going to that place we got to get back to the fact that ben simmons is a unique player that you had to choose to build an entire roster around and if you don't build a roster that is filled with shooters i don't see how ben simmons can be a piece that helps you get anywhere i don't know that i agree that he can never be a key piece of a championship winning team but I think the team that most could use and most would benefit from Ben Simmons continues to be the team that is the loudest, and maybe they doth protest too much about not wanting him, and that's the Warriors. He, he is a perfect fit for what the Warriors do, and yet they seem to be the loudest in saying that they don't want him because I think everybody else looks at it the way I'm talking about it and says, yeah, I think it's a great fit for the Warriors, and the Warriors keep getting asked about it. Next question. Shohei Otani is open to staying with the Angels. Why? 
Of course, I'll be very open to negotiation. The team is supporting me for this whole four years, and I'm really appreciative of that, Otani said through an interpreter. Whether or not there's any contract extensions, I just want to, like I said earlier, be ready and be ready for next season. Does Shohei Otani actually want to sign an extension with the Angels? Because that doesn't sound like he actually does. I love the idea of Shohei Otani saying, oh, well, you know, they're they're supporting me through all this time. <laughs> Do you know how much the Angels are paying Shohei Otani on his rookie contract? Like $7. $545,000 a season with an international signing bonus of $2.3 million. Shohei Otani was sort of like the Ben Simmons test case of how badly do you want to come over from Japan? Are you willing to come over to make a half uh, half a million dollars a year on your rookie contract? Like Shohei Otani is the one who is supporting the Angels right now. So look, he did a good job of covering up the comments that he made the week before. But Shohei Otani is going to get paid in a ridiculous way. And whether that's in Orange County or somewhere else, whatever. You want to play for the like you want to play in Major League Baseball? Fine, you got to play for the Angels. <laughs> it was the like Angels and Mariners? Those are the teams he was deciding between. I am fascinated to see what his contract is, especially if he can continue to do what he did this year for the next couple of seasons, because he is one of the top five hitters in baseball this year, and also a legitimate top two in a rotation as a starter and. Can he keep that up for a couple of years? I think that's a big question mark. Can he be this good for another couple of years? But if he is, or if he's anywhere close, like you're, you're paying for two players. So I'm fascinated to see what Shoei Otani would actually end up commanding. All right, coming up next, we will jump into the Golden Knights because apparently they're still talking about Jack Eichel. Our stats hogwash. Are you tired of hearing Tyler do math on the radio? Call the press box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. Kings the other way. On the left boards, a collision. Pasco came across. It's out in front. Morris stopped by Brossois. Held his ground. Charles McDonald is going to join us in a few minutes. We are also going to give away a pair of tickets to go to the to TPC Summerlin for the Shriners uh, Open. That is this weekend. We'll also be out there Friday. Friday's show will be live from TPC Summerlin. So make sure you stay tuned. You go in a pair of tickets uh, to that. What do we also have? Golden Knights tickets, right? Is that our other giveaway? Um, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Tomorrow we, we, we have Golden, Golden Knights tickets. tickets. We, we have, have John Fogarty Travel and Band. That's right. Uh, yeah. One of those songs I've heard of before. All right. I send you this with a thing that says when we're doing it. Yeah, overrated. Not worth it. Um, two things. Quick update on Urban Meyer. Uh, Jags owner Shad Khan put out a statement today. Tom Polissero tweeted it out. I have addressed this matter with Urban. Specifics of our conversation will be held in confidence. What I will say is his conduct last week was inexcusable. I appreciate Urban's remorse, which I believe is sincere now he must regain our trust and respect. That will require a personal commitment from Urban to everyone who supports, represents, or plays for our team. I am confident he will deliver. Um, we also had this tweet from Mike Silver. Players were particularly put off by the fact that Meyer canceled Monday's team meeting as he dealt with the uproar over videos of him and a young woman getting cozy in that Ohio bar. Quote, he even canceled the team meeting he was too scared, a player said. Uh, 
All right. So there's your update. You got anything else to add? We talked about it already. You got anything else to add on Urban Meyer? You didn't go through that entire tweet because it gets worse and worse talking about how he has zero <laughs> credibility with the team um, and how, uh, wow. Um, all right. <laughs> he only apologized <laughs> to position groups individually. He portrayed the woman in the videos as a random person who was just there dancing. Uh, said one player, we looked at him like WTF right when he left. Everyone started dying laughing and he knew it. It's bad. I don't know how he's going to function. Um, so that's what I had to add on uh, on Pope Urban. Yeah. Um, pr- pretty, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. Has this like, have you guys ever had a boss do something that in like one move makes you go, okay, well, you no longer have my respect. Well, I guess the question about Urban Meyer is four games in, did he have any trust and respect that he has to regain? Or are we just starting from the same <laughs> bottom where he was in the first place? Hey, the bar's so low, we should bring a shuffle? Mm, entirely possible. Uh, is anybody cheering for Urban Meyer? Tim Tebow. <laughs> I knew he was going to say that. <laughs> is that it? Is it Tim Tebow and, and that's it now? Percy I think Tim Tebow is the is the one man PR crew for for Big Herb. I don't know who's left. Zach Smith, like, <laughs> you know, where is he now? Uh, Google it, by the way, if you're wondering what I'm talking about. Oh, Urban Meyer. Who doesn't love Urban Meyer? All right, so let's talk a little bit about the Golden Knights because Elliot Friedman was on the Jeff Merrick show yesterday, and he said. I don't think Buffalo and Vegas can make a deal because of Peyton Krebs. I've heard Buffalo wants Krebs in that deal, and I don't think Vegas has any desire to do that. He is talking about a Jack Eichel trade. Obviously, the Buffalo Sabres would like to trade Jack Eichel. Uh, There's a big disagreement about what he should have done to his neck that is hurt, um, and they would like to move on from him. Stripped him of his captaincy, not expected to play for them, but because of all that, uh, his trade value is much lower than what a 24-year-old center who like only gets outscored by McDavid and McKinnon when he's fully healthy uh, should actually be getting. Uh, so, but when you hear specific details about a Golden Knights trade or non-trade that's not happening because they don't want to give up Peyton Krebs, what do you think? Should they be willing to part with Peyton Krebs to land Jack Eichel? Ooh, it's such a complicated question for most franchises. Um, for this franchise, the answer seems to be clear. They've been pretty obvious in their desire to add every name star possible. But here's what's different. Jack Eichel's 24 years old. Uh, most of the players the Golden Knights have gone out and acquired have been late 20s, early 30s in the bloom of their career. Peyton Krebs is 20. We haven't seen anything you know, beyond the fact that we know he's fighting for a roster spot this year. Um, I guess what's going to make this complicated is... Is there a real salary cap? Like, does, does the bill come due at some point? <laughs> no. Because the Golden Knights have been able to make this work over and over and over again, but Jack Eichel is going to make $10 million a year for the next four years, so it's going to be some interesting gymnastics to see how they would bring him in and send out someone else who wouldn't really hurt. And again, it's going to be like Petrangelo and Nate Schmidt where you have to say, you're not signing that player. You are trading for slash signing that player for the difference of who they are versus the player you have to get rid of to fit them in. So Jack Eichel, the the age thing to me makes it like almost a no brainer that you're, if Peyton, Peyton Krebs should not be the holdup. 
for you to get Jack Eichel. Like you're getting Jack Eichel, who is only four years older than Peyton Krebs. There should be no worry about, oh, we're going to miss out on Peyton Krebs when you get Jack Eichel. To me, there's two questions. Number one is what else is involved in that trade? Because obviously it's not going to be Peyton Krebs for Jack Eichel straight up. It's how much more do you have to give up? And like you said, to make it fit in the salary cap, how much do you have to get up? Whether, you know, if you have to make another deal where you give up a Nate Schmidt for a mid-round pick, which is an obvious loss on the trade, but sort of what else you have to give up is the question. But also, is Jack Eichel able to play this season? And I think that's a really important question for this team because they are trying to win the Stanley Cup right now. Like, this is not necessarily a look into three years into the future. This is about right now. And if Jack Eichel was fully healthy, then of course he's going to help you win a Stanley Cup right now. But I... He might not play this year. Like, whatever happens with his neck surgery, he might not play this year. And if you're the Golden Knights, you're trying to win now. And if you were to say, you know, if you have to give up uh, an Alex Tuck and a Peyton Krebs and another player that would actually be in your lineup, whatever that combination would be to make the deal work and to make the salary cap work, you're making your team's chances to win the Stanley Cup this year significantly worse if Eichel cannot play, and that might not happen. So... That, to me, is maybe the biggest reason why, if I'm the Golden Knights, I don't make the trade because I'm trying to win the Stanley Cup this season, not just over the next four. And that's where Buffalo is in a power position because the Sabres don't expect to win anything this year. It doesn't matter to them. And normally, I would say about the Golden Knights, hey, go do it because cap-wise, if Jack Eichel isn't going to play for you this year... You put them on long-term injury reserve and you open up $10 million. And if the best case scenario is that he plays for the playoffs, then you've got Nikita Kucherov for Tampa Bay, just like the situation that they had last year. Um, but it's like you said, if you have to give up your best prospect and maybe your best young player, then what do you have left to try to win this year? I guess the counter argument to that is that the Golden Knights division is so bad <laughs> that (laughs) they might be able to roll those dice and still be able to finish no worse than second in the division, even if Jack Eichel doesn't play and Alex Tuck is gone. Of course, you know, you're not going to have Tuck for the first couple of months anyway. Yeah, I guess if, if you could tell me that the division point, I think, is a good one. If you could guarantee that Eichel would play in the playoffs then I, I think that makes me much more likely to make that deal. But again, I, just, I don't think anybody knows that. I don't think anybody has any idea what the actual like time frame. Hell, do the Golden Knights even okay? I assume you if you're trading for Eichel, you're okay with him having the surgery he wants to have on his neck. So I just it's a very interesting spot for the Golden Knights because it's a type of player you would no doubt make the trade for when you're trying to win now but he might not be available right now. Coming up next, Charles McDonald joins the show. Talk about the NFL after four weeks. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678. I stayed to see the grandkids, and we all went to dinner that night at the restaurant, and then there's a big group next to our restaurant, and they wanted me to come over and take pictures, and I did. They were trying to pull me out on a dance floor, screwing around, and I should have left. Oh, Urban Meyer. We don't have Charles McDonald at the moment, uh, but that's okay because we have plenty of more to get to from the Raiders and Chargers last night. Mainly a play we haven't talked about yet because eh, when you lose, it kind of gets lost in the entire situation. But Hunter Renfro, as a punt returner, broke up a pass on fourth down thrown by the Chargers punter that would have 
probably gone for a first down if Hunter Renfro had not been there. And first off, the Raiders only had 10 players on the field. That's why the gunner was left completely uncovered and why the Chargers punter was like, yes, we're faking this. Nobody's on that guy and I can throw it to him for a first down. That play by Hunter Renfro is one of the most incredible plays of his career. Like that might end up being the best play he ever makes in his entire NFL career is breaking up that pass. I don't think we've talked about enough how much that changed the game. Because if that pass is complete with the Raiders only having 10 players on the field, (laughs) that's one-on-one. If Hunter Renfro even misses the tackle, then the Chargers score on that play and it's 21-0. I mean, it ended up 21 nothing, but it would have been 21 nothing a lot earlier in the game, and the Raiders might have found themselves in even more dire straits than they did. Um, and congrats, by the way, to Pro Football Focus, um, because if you go in and you just search defensive grades for the Raiders yesterday, Hunter Renfro is the number two graded Raiders <laughs> defender for the who, game. Who last was night. one? Who beat him? I believe it was Max Crosby. Oh, man. I mean, Hunter Renfro, was, he didn't play another defensive snap, did he? He might have with how many injuries they had. Uh, you, you, you notice I did not adjust <laughs> for, uh, for amount of snaps played. I just took the fact that there are defensive grades for the Raiders. Max Crosby was one at 85. <laughs> Hunter Renfro's grade was an 82.7. He has a coverage grade of 67.5. All right, hold on. I got, I got beef with pro football focus. How is it not 100? Uh, I don't know. Maybe they thought that uh, he wasn't lined up close enough to snap. <laughs> Too yeah. much ground to cover. Because there was only 10 guys on the field. So because, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he wasn't supposed to be there. Um, does he lose uh, Does he lose credit because he's the guy that's supposed to tell the 11th guy to get on the field? Mm, that's a good point. It is supposed to be the, uh, the returner who yeah. does the counting there. Um, should we just blame it on Damon Arnett because Damon Arnett oh should get blamed for God. everything in that game? Josh Dubow had maybe his greatest tweet of the game last night when he said that Hunter Renfro is now tied with Damon Arnett for pass breakups. I read that tweet and my thought was Tyler must be kidding himself for not being first on that. <laughs> That's such a great tweet. Unbelievable that Damon Arnett and Hunter Renfro are tied with pass breakups. So, okay, on, on the defense. How are we sort of grading ourselves? How are we viewing this defense after that game? Because they did give up 14 early points. They did end up giving up 28 points in this game. Justin Herbert threw for over 200. Austin Eckler ran for 117. Chargers as a team ran for 170. Um, but it feels like I, they played okay, especially given all the injuries they had to go through in the back end. I think okay is the right word. Um, and I think okay on the Raiders sliding scale, which we still have to apply from last year. Like, I don't think three games that we've seen this year, Tyler, is enough for us to start grading the Raiders like we would grade any other defense. And we have to continue to grade them as though they were in the remedial class. And now they've started to be able to sound out their words, right? Like, they, they are doing better than than they have been. Um, but I also think they got a big assist from the Chargers. Yeah. Uh, Chargers went into a shell for a while last night. Uh, there were there were first down runs on the first two uh, plays of their drives in the third quarter. Like the Chargers gave them opportunities, so they, there are parts that played well. I, I think we probably have to say that this pass rush is clearly improved. Yeah, right. Max Crosby, Carl Nassib, who by the way was inactive multiple games last year, and Yannick Ngakwe have made this pass rush better. But the coverage sure as hell isn't. Um, 
Casey Hayward has played well for this team, but Trayvon Mullen goes out early. Damon Arnett, Damon Arnett's. And then you're down to, you know, Amik Robinson, uh, Robertson, I should say, and, uh, you know, and Nate Hobbs, who was okay. It wasn't great, wasn't terrible. So I, there are parts that are better. I think they're competent. I think this defense can be competent, which is all we ever were asking for. I was stunned the Chargers did not throw the ball down the field more once Trayvon Mullen was out. Like how they didn't pick on Damon Arnett on like, eight consecutive passes it, it stunned me that they like even even Lewis Riddick who was calling the game was like how is Mike Williams not getting more targets do they see who's covering him I, w- I was stunned that they did not start throwing the ball more and more and I know like they were effective running the ball in that game but it just felt like a waste every time they handed the ball off when you, when again we're talking about Damon Arnett was out on the field for like half the game no here's the worst part Tyler and I don't mean to make this a correction if it came from Lewis Riddick saying that, I'd be like, yeah, smart football guy sees the matchup. No, it came from Brian Greasy. Oh, was it? Oh, okay. It was Brian, <laughs> it was Brian Greasy, Captain Obvious, who was saying all of these things. So that's even worse that Brian Greasy is sitting there saying, wait a second, why are they not going after Amik Robinson, or Robertson? Why do I keep calling him Robinson? With, uh, <laughs> with Mike Williams. Keenan Allen had one of his worst days as a pro, right? What was it, 35 yards total? Like it, it was uh, unbelievably low for him because everything was kept in front. The Chargers' longest completion on the day was 34 yards, and it was the catch and carry to the completely uncovered tight end <laughs> on the play after Damon Arnett went out. Damon Arnett was holding them together, apparently. <laughs> holding is correct. Yeah, uh, holding them together. No, and by the way, let's not let Cleveland Furl go uh, unmentioned. Just a grade A performance from the former uh, number one overall pick, who I believe had uh, what as many penalties as tackles. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a good day for Cleveland Furl. So okay, what okay? How do we how do we figure out Justin Herbert's day versus this pass rush? Because like you, I thought the pass rush was very good. They got to Herbert a few times. They knocked down quite a few passes of Justin Herbert. But I also felt like Herbert played well. Like, are, are we in a situation where the Raiders' pass rush is good enough that when they get to play the Jacoby Brissett's of the world, they're probably going to look really good. But when they get to play a Justin Herbert or a Patrick Mahomes twice a year, that they're still going to give up those big chunk plays because those are quarterbacks that can manage around a pass rush? Maybe. Uh, Justin Herbert's PFF grade yesterday was 82, which is – oh. It's good. I shouldn't say it's okay. It's very good. It's very good, but it's not the God-level status that the ESPN crew, which was killing the rain delay, by the way, by saying, does Justin Herbert have what it takes to make the Hall of Fame? Wait, Are you kidding me? They did, they did that, and they also kept telling us that Derek Carr doesn't care anymore about what John Gruden has to say. Oh, he does, oh no. Steve Young says Derek Carr doesn't care. He doesn't care. Didn't care. Yeah, uh, that was a fun discussion. Yeah, 19 games in, we're talking about uh, Justin Herbert going to the Hall of Fame. So uh, football broadcast, not as prepared as baseball broadcast for weather delays. Um, well, uh, to be fair to, to them, just there's a roof. Yeah. To be fair, there is a roof. Uh, Justin Herbert actually, I, in my opinion, I thought he didn't play as well as he could have last night. He yeah. missed some really open throws. He missed some plays that could have made this a runaway for the Chargers, and it had nothing to do with the Raiders. It it had to do with Justin Herbert just flat-out missing receivers. So I guess we put all of it together and we say the Chargers scored 28 points, which with this offense should at least be a game where the Raiders are competitive. Um, 
but they easily could have scored 35 or 42 had they completed all their plays. And I think in that case, you have to look at it and say, yeah, the Raiders defense actually got pretty lucky compared to what it could have been. Hey, they might get to play Andy Dalton on Sunday, so they'll look really good. QB1, baby. QB1. <laughs> Matt Nagy out here wrecking more dreams than Mitchell Trubisky. All right, here we go. We've got a pair of tickets to go to uh, Saturday at the Shriner Children's Open PGA Tour Golf at TPC Summerlin. Many of the world's top golfers competing to earn FedEx Cup points. So, again, two tickets to Saturday out at the Shriner's Children Open out at TPC Summerlin. We will take caller number six at 702-364-1100. That is caller six at 702-364-1100. Two pitch. Swing and a miss. He struck it out. The regular season is over. And the San Francisco Giants have done what was said they could not do. They have beaten L.A. for the National League Western Division title. Congratulations to William. He won a pair of tickets to go out to the PGA Tour at uh, TPC Summerlin on Saturday. Uh, we're going to have John Fogarty tickets coming up a little bit later in the show. But now I want to take some time to talk about Kyle Tucker. Plays for the Houston Astros because there's a story in the athletic profile on Kyle Tucker. And Kyle Tucker eats a chicken quesadilla and a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch before every game. He has a chicken and cheese quesadilla with guacamole and sour cream upon his arrival to the ballpark, and most importantly, a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch after the team takes batting practice. Tucker said, I play way better when I have cinnamon toast crunch. I think that's a key to hitting for me. Uh, Kyle Tucker's phenomenal, and before I continue my love fest for Kyle Tucker, is there anything you want to say about Kyle Tucker? Uh, he started the season playing like dog crap and then yeah. was pretty darn good for the last like four months. He's a superstar. Uh, a lot of so I'm not so a lot of bad that, that was that, that was a two month. parter. There was a two parter there. So over the first couple of months of the season, was the cinnamon toast crunch not available? That is that was not addressed in the story. That is a very good question. It was not addressed in the story whether or not he was eating cinnamon toast crunch for the first two months of the season or not. I will say his uh like expected batting average, expected slugging and all that was still extremely high in the first two months. He just couldn't actually hit the ball away from anybody in the outfield. Mm, that seems to be a problem. Um yeah, so I'm glad for Kyle Tucker because I'm glad there can be a Houston Astro hitter that I don't have to look at and say, are you a trash can guy? No, Kyle Tucker came up after all that was uh, was a thing. So good, you know, good for you, Tyler. You your your team as a player, we can all feel good about. You can feel good about a lot of them. Yuli Gurriel won the batting title this year at thirty-seven. That's a feel I, good yes. story. Yes, I will. I will be sure to get a um, a card that we can send to him, but I can't send it to you until I get it signed by you, Darvish. Yeah, that, yeah, probably need that. What about? Do you feel good about Carlos Correa? Is going to make like three hundred and fifty million dollars this off season? Oh no, I'm glad for him that that he's going to make uh, three hundred fifty million dollars because I would say only like two hundred and fifty of those are office cheating. All right, so you'll. I, what I need you to do for me is once I get done talking here about Kyle Tucker, you're going to have to tell me if I'm being too optimistic about the Houston Astros because Kyle Tucker is in a group of about six players that make me think the Astros can be a playoff and potential world series contender for the next five 
seasons uh, because the Astros, if you look to the future, most of the players on this team are going to be gone. They're going to lose Carlos Correa more than likely this offseason. Michael Brantley and Yuli Gurriel have one uh, season left on their current contracts, and they're both pretty old, so it'd be surprising if they got deals after that with the Astros. Uh, which leaves offensively Alex Bregman and Jose Altuve signed for a few more years. But more importantly, Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker are both under team control for another four seasons. So those two added into the pitching staff that the Houston Astros have, where Lance McCullers, they signed to a five-year extension. He was their best pitcher this season. But more importantly, they have four guys, four young guys that are all under team control for the next five seasons. Framber Valdez, Luis Garcia, Jose Urquidy, and Christian Javier. And all of them, though still small sample sizes for most, have given some sign that they are going to be a legitimate number two, number three type starter in a major league rotation. Framber Valdez has probably been the best. Urquidy's been very good. Christian Javier got moved to the bullpen this year where he's had some struggles. And Luis Garcia is probably going to finish second in AL uh, Rookie of the Year voting this year. But because of that... I basically am looking at it like this. Offensively for the Astros, they've sort of got a core four between Altuve, Bregman, Alvarez, and Tucker. They're going to have to, you know, make a good signing or have a prospect that comes up that can hit very well as well. But they're going to need to do something. But there's a good sort of core there with those four that they can build a good lineup. They can have a top five in the AL lineup for the next four years while they have those four players. And then on the pitching staff side, between McCullers and the four young guys that are all under contract or team control for the next five years, to me, there's no reason the Astros shouldn't have a top three rotation in the American League for the next five seasons. Injuries happen. Like some get, somebody's going to miss an entire year because of Tommy John surgery. One of these guys probably is going to work out. Somebody's going to run into some problems and just not be an effective pitcher anymore. But there's five chances there to have a good pitcher. They'll need to sign somebody or trade for somebody at some point to be another good starting pitcher. But... To me, I look at it, and I think the Astros have a very good core for starting pitching and a very good core for their offense for the next four to five years and can be a legitimate playoff and World Series contender for a long time. All right, so my job is to tell you whether you're too optimistic about that. I think you presented a reasonable case. I think it's maybe slightly on the optimistic side, but here's why I'm optimistic about the Astros, because look at the rest of that division. Um, Right now, if you evaluate the AL West and say, do the Astros have a consistent path to the playoffs for the next five years? They undoubtedly do, because they're going to be playing against some dog crap teams for quite a while. (laughs) Um, The Texas Rangers are in the midst of a complete and total build from the bottom rebuild. So you can not worry about them. Uh, Don't tell me anything about the Anaheim Angels of Los Angeles until they get a pitcher. (laughs) I don't mean two pitchers, three pitchers, four pitchers. A pitcher. They do not have a Otani. single pitcher. Yeah. A guy who pitches 100 innings a year doesn't count. Um, you said so, A pitcher. All right. All right. <laughs> we'll make it two then. So <laughs> the Angels are not a threat. Um, how about the Oakland A's? Well, the Oakland A's have a ceiling every single year. It's exactly where they just finished. They won 86 games. They're going to be plucky. They might contend for the wild card but as long as they have one foot in the sewage and one foot in las vegas they are not going to be a contending team the team you actually have to worry a little bit about is these mariners um they actually looked okay this year 
I'm not going to say that they were great because the run differential tells you otherwise, but they have good young hitters who I think are going to probably be as good, if not potentially better over the course of five years than what the Astros are going to have. Now, the Astros have better pitching, so that's why I think they've got a path to the playoffs for the next few years. Uh, But overall, who is it that worries you that's going to keep the Astros away from the playoffs, Tyler. I don't think there's anybody in that division. Yeah, it's mainly the Mariners if they actually put it together. Um, I mean, the Angels lineup, if fully healthy next year, sh- like should be good. Um, but again, who who's pitching for that team? They drafted, what, 20 straight pitchers in their draft this year, but that's not really going to help them next season. Um, the A's are more just annoying. Like It feels like they're always going to be around, but they don't really worry me that much in terms of winning the division consecutive years or anything like that so I mean it it is it's the Mariners like that's the team that's because they're ahead of schedule like they're they're in a rebuild they're supposed to be rebuilding and they just happen to win a whole bunch of one run games this year and despite their terrible run differential almost made the playoffs so they should be good they should be getting better as a team into the future Right, they should be. And and you saw the limitations this year when they should have lost to the Angels on the Saturday before the end of the season and did lose to them on the Sunday before the end of the year. If you can't beat that team to get into the playoffs, then you don't deserve to be there in the first place. So we'll say that about the Astros. Let me flip this around for you and ask you about the New York Yankees. Um, this core was supposed to be Aaron Judge, Glaber Torres, Gary Sanchez on into the future for the Yankees. Well, the three of us probably would start a catcher uh, before Gary Sanchez um, in any major league game for any team. I can um, hunt. You can, and I think that, that your defense is clearly better. Um, Glaber Torres took a major step back this year, and Aaron Judge had a great season, but I think we all forget that Aaron Judge came up to the majors really late and is going to be 30 next year. Oh, my so, God. You are right. We both absolutely forgot that. He's going to be 30? Christ. Aaron Judge came up to the majors as a much older player. So do I have any reason to be confident in the future of the New York Yankees beyond, oh, my God, please keep Garrett Cole inside the fountain of youth? Well, so to ask you basically the the big reason why the Astros should be good in the AL West, what's like what's the pitching situation into the future for the Yankees? Yeah, and it's a serious question. Like, is Luis Severino healthy enough to come back and be a contributor over the end of his contract? And... They kind of have the flip side of what the Astros have in their division. The Toronto Blue Jays are terrifying. <laughs> like, absolutely terrifying. The Red Sox are not going to be uncompetitive for any length of time. And apparently the Tampa Bay Rays <laughs> are something. The Tampa Bay Rays are like the Oakland Athletics, but actually a contender to win the World Series. And somehow playing in a worse ballpark. <laughs> <laughs> it's a competitive advantage for the Rays. They don't have to. They can hear the other team talking because they're playing in an empty stadium. Just, it's just, a good point. They they couldn't even pull the trash can thing if they wanted to. It would just like echo <laughs> off the concrete walls. No one would be able to tell. What, uh, how many times did they hit the can? Was that four or five? Is he throwing a change up or a slider? Oh, coming up next, we'll jump back into the Raiders. And how the hell was there a weather delay in a dome stadium? 